Hello, and welcome to the Change the Conversation podcast. My name is Jordan Lawson. I'm here with Robbie White, Sam Hawkins, and Melinda Sparks. We solicited questions last time we met um, about just sort of the big questions of faith and religion, just things that maybe we've struggled with, haven't felt comfortable asking in this context. We got an email. Um, I did not ask if I could use his name, so I won't. But this is... Um, <laughs> but it is a man. Right? It, well, yeah, I've eliminated <laughs> half of the, the potential questions. Um, yes, but he um, he writes, Lately I've been thinking a lot about how Christians reconcile or resist reconciliation of scientific conclusions and theories as they contradict literal interpretations of the Bible. For instance, the Earth is four and a half billion years old, dinosaurs existed, the Earth has seen four or five mass extinction events, evolution is an important part of our origination on the planet, the Big Bang, etc., um, and then a few questions. Must we accept only certain contributions from the scientific community, or can both or all have some parts of the truth at once? Why do we defend our faith against science? How strong is our faith if we constantly feel the need to defend it? Doesn't science also require faith? Are we hypocrites when we embrace and celebrate scientific innovations as God-given conveniences, and then condemn conclusions like climate change that implicate Christians, among others, in the latest mass extinction event? Um, which is a lot. Um, so first of all, thanks for offering that. Um, and I'll open it up, um, to the room, um, general impressions about that whole issue of faith versus science. And then, um, we'll try to go through those questions one by one. Well, I think, I think that the divide between faith and science is one that's certainly been part of the history of uh, the church and it it goes all the way back to, uh, to the beginning I mean there are plenty of examples Galileo uh, on people who were were ostracized or, or even persecuted for trying to tell us well maybe the way we see it isn't the way it really is <laughs> And if that in some way contradicted what we believed or what we held to be true or, what, or if we thought, for instance, there was some new discovery that threatened the faith, then honestly, early from early on, the church, when it was when it had that kind of authority and power in the larger culture, used that power to keep those voices silent in whatever manner uh they chose. They chose, and there are plenty of examples. If you visit Europe and go to certain cities, and it's even still now part of the of the tour, where they'll go, "Oh, at this square, so and so was burned uh, at a stake at a stake because of this view." And so, anyway, it, there, there seems to be from the start this tension that existed. It's unfortunate the way that even is continued to play out in some ways in our time. Well, there are scriptures in the Bible that have um, uh, indicated to us the way the earth and the things in it move and operate. Genesis 1. You know, it um, he created the earth in six days. That's not in the story of creation doesn't seem to be compatible with the science of evolution. Uh, Psalm 91 talks about the earth being fixed uh, in Joshua, uh, the story of the sun standing still so they can win the battle. Um, there are other scriptures that we lift up and say, thus saith the Lord. And so, so it is. And then the, um, modern notion of science challenges a lot of those things. So which is it? Do we, do we believe the Bible or do we believe science? And to believe science, do we have to not believe God? And for some people, that's just really tricky. I think that it's important. And I um, didn't grow up in a, an evangelical tradition, so um, I don't know how you know, against the uh, orthodoxy this is to say. But I think it's important to know what 
what were the important parts of whatever the writer was saying? Because, I mean, we still talk about the sun rising and setting, even though obviously it's not the sun that's moving. You know, we know that the earth is spinning around. And even if we believe that God inspired the words of the scriptures, we don't have to believe that he imparted any sort of knowledge of physics or astronomy that we would learn hundreds or thousands of years later, like that not, that wasn't really the point of the story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like to say like these people, you know, Genesis isn't a science textbook. That's not to say that it is, is to miss what the author was trying to do. I think this whole, when, when the question gets framed as science versus faith, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that may be a place where we go off the rails, right. uh, From the get go. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's usually, pitted as well if you're a modern thinker you'll believe whatever science tells you and if you believe if you're a good christian you'll believe what the bible tells you mm-hmm. and um i you know later on i think we'll probably get into the whole question of what exactly is faith and what role it plays in science so mm-hmm. therefore it really shouldn't be a a, a versus uh, one versus the other question the but the way i, I tend to think of it is um um, there is this world that we live in, and I've used this uh, example before, but if you go into a movie that has already begun, uh, you're trying to piece together from the clues that you see what happened before you showed up. And in our case, uh, for all of us, there was something going on before we showed up. And we can, as we're trying to figure out what that was, what happened, and what implications does that have for us uh, today and in our life, we can use uh, different methods for that. And so I, I really think of this as a question of the method of science that we can use and the method of um, religious traditions, uh, including their scriptures, and in our case, as Christians, uh, what we what we see in the Bible, and I think when you look at it as a question of methods, it forces you to um, to ask yourself, what exactly is it that I can expect this method to tell me, and what should I not be expecting it to tell me? Uh, you know, another way to look at that is a method is being like a tool. Um, you know, I probably shouldn't be using a hammer to try to perform um, open heart surgery. Mm. I should probably be using a scalpel for that. And, and I should probably not be using a scalpel to try to, to drive nails in, into the wall. So each tool that we have is going to have some, some strengths and it's going to have some limitations. And I think in this area with science and, and faith or religion, it's very important to be aware both of what we can get from using that method, but also what we shouldn't even be asking it to try to do for us. I think this gets into the, the questions I'll, I'll reiterate for the sake of making sure we stay on track. Um, must we accept only certain contributions from the scientific community or can both or all have some parts of the truth at once? Yeah, I think for me, I would say that there's, the way that I think of it, and I, in getting ready for this, I've tried to think about how I think about it. The, um, it's almost, this is a, I'm not sure what kind of fallacy this is. It, it's kind of a circular argument, but I believe that God exists and my experience has reinforced that for me. I believe it because my life is, is it has been true in my life to this point. And I believe that the scientific method generally teaches us things about the way that things are. So to the extent that those are both true, then they have to be, they have to be reconcilable. Like it's not my ability to understand something or my ability to perceive something really doesn't have anything to do with whether it's true or not. Like I don't have to understand something for it to be true. And there's a lot of things that are true that I don't understand. Um, so I don't see any reason that these two things have to be at odds. They, there must be a reconciliation point if I believe that both of these things are true. Hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's very, um, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, would, uh, that was a big 
part of his theology was that um, the, there, there are not two types of truth, he would have said, that ultimately they, they, are, they reconcile if you just understand how. He probably said it a lot more eloquently than and, I did. Well, probably a lot more words, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah took him, without took a doubt. 5,000 pages. He was, he was wordy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I think that we often look at, at this issue in an either-or fashion when, in reality, it, it's a both-and. I mean, I think we have to transcend this this two way this this it's either this or, or or it's that and it can't be both <clears throat> you're talking about language science will have its own language that has a purpose faith also has its own language they both speak to the heart of things but you have to understand the distinction and understand that uh, it goes back to what sam was saying a moment ago about a hammer and a scaffold I mean, the difference. Genesis is poetry. The first part, uh, that whole creation account, you don't, none of us would read poetry and go, well, yes, this will be on the science test next week. No, of course not. We don't read poetry that way. Um, And yet science, science uh, has its own language that's also very beautiful, I think, and, and expanding. And uh, we, I think we discount one or the other by thinking we have to choose when I don't think it's necessary to choose. Yeah. To say that the Bible is true and that it contains in it truth and that it doesn't contain anything that is not truth, right? Is not to say that it's the only thing that contains truth. There, there are lots of things that are true that are not in the Bible. And I think that's one of the, I may be getting off the rails here, but I think that's one of the problems with saying like everything you could ever need to know is in the Bible Mm -hmm. when, you know, if you take that literally, that's, that's not true. There are lots of things you need to know that are not mentioned specifically in the Bible. And I think that's the point, right? I mean, you mentioned the word taking something, taking the Bible literally, and that's what we often do. We Mm -hmm. take the Bible, we try to, we try to make a text that was never written for that purpose. That's not the language of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, all language is metaphor. Every word you use, is it, it, it is based on a metaphoric reality. What we do, though, is take this metaphor and we literalize it, and it loses its power. It loses its ability to, to spark imagination and maybe create something different mm-hmm. in the hearing. I remember asking a preacher a few years ago. I mean, I grew up in a tradition that the Bible was literal, and therefore, if science said something different from the Bible, then it was science that was wrong. So I struggled with science in my earlier uh, years, and let's just be honest, I still struggle with science because I'm just not that smart. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So, but what I would say is I asked a preacher a few years ago, so what difference would it make if evolution is true? And Genesis 1 is true, too. What difference does it make? And this preacher said, well, then, if evolution is true, the Bible is lying. And the Bible doesn't lie. That's the bottom line with a lot of people that want to take this literally. If we challenge that, we're saying God's a liar. His word is a liar. And that is just way, that's a bridge too far. For some people, the uh, uh, Stephen Jay Gould, who was a, a biologist, um, wrote a lot. Very, very popular uh, science writer wrote a lot about evolution. He he came up with a concept um, called non-overlapping magisteria, which was the idea that um, so you have science, you have faith, and they each kind of rule their own kingdoms. And they speak authoritatively within that kingdom about the questions that are relevant to that kingdom. So um, the the idea being that um, uh, in, in that case, kind of what you were saying, mm-hmm. Melinda, that um, science would get the questions about origins of human life, the Bible 
uh, or faith would get the questions about um, salvation or uh, whether or not there's a creator uh, and that they just have to stay in their own corners and they mm-hmm. and and then there's no conflict as long as each um, discipline stays within its lane then then you don't have the the conflict arise to some degree I I, I, I like that um, so long as I as each discipline is aware of its limitations hmm. so there is a with science for example there's uh, and I love science I love the scientific method I've uh, I've tried to learn as much about that as I can uh, and I think it's very useful there's also a thing though called scientism where folks um, treat science as the ultimate authority on all matters hmm. and that well you can do these other things. They're kind of nice. They're kind of touchy feely. But if you really want the answers, you gotta you gotta provide. You gotta look at science. And I think when with that attitude, um, it it fails to really take account of certain things that science cannot answer, like values and meaning. And and yes, science is is a great tool for um, not only um, you know identifying the the composition of of of, of rocks and and uh the soil and uh taking that and applying it in a way that we get all these technological advances that we're that we're so fond of but it has its limits it is going to have prescribed limits on what it can answer so we shouldn't always assume that well if i if i could really to get the real answer i would have to go down the science road um, I think there are real answers to be gained through the uh, the more spiritual and uh, and faith uh, domains. We just we just have to be aware of uh, what we're ask- which questions we're asking, and what we're expecting these methods to do for us. Hmm. Yeah, if I can, uh, I think it's um, this is kind of touching on that. We're mostly approaching these from the perspective of the faith side of things since we're sitting in a church and, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it also does happen in the other direction um, where you'll see a lot of, you know, new atheist types where it's like, well, if you could prove to me using science, you know, if you could mm-hmm. give me math that says that there's a God, then I would believe that there's a God. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, if I can make a terrible analogy, it's a little bit like if somebody was like, you know, prove to me that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, only using rushing statistics. <laughs> it's like you mm-hmm. know because Tom Brady's thrown right. for eight billion yards and rushed yeah, right. for a thousand over twenty years. Um, Melinda, that's a, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you're over my head. Uh, Tom's a guy that throws the ball real good. Oh, okay, <laughs> he's kind of cute, right? <laughs> Can't speak to that. Um, <laughs> he's no Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but it's it's asking a question that you know it's the wrong tool. It's it's fundamentally incapable of answering the question that faith answers which seeks to go beyond what we're able to perceive what things we can measure and look at and they're not they're not that doesn't mean that it's contradictory it's just they're answering fundamentally different types of questions yeah i like the i like the idea of each um each discipline being willing to admit its limitation Mm -hmm. and there requires a certain humility in that, so in modernity, with enlightenment and the development of scientific methodology, an idea becomes a theory. A theory is tested if it can be verified, becomes factual, and that's the only way you can have truth is that process. And then we move into postmodernity, and suddenly discover well, it's not quite as clear cut as that. And the, re- the, the one of the problems is that. The intellect, reason alone, is not the only way to, ex- to to experience life and the world as a human being. That we actually are far more complicated than that, and there are other ways as well. I'm not diminishing. I was I was schooled in in that in that modernity period of history, and so I was taught and still embrace uh, the, the the power of. Uh, of, of of trying to learn and grow and think and reason and use your reason to, mm-hmm. but the other side is 
Yeah, there, there's more to it than that. And I think that we, it goes back to that either. Or I think we 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 make mistakes when we when we place it in certain categories that go well. It can only be one way, like you were saying, Melinda. I mean, I, I get it. I understand. I, I was kind of in that. That's the way I was taught too. Mm-hmm. Oh well, you can't. You know, you gotta be be careful of science. Mm-hmm. Science will lead you astray. Mm-hmm. You better you better not go down that road because mm-hmm. you'll end up not believing anything. And you can't believe the Bible and believe that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> it was so liberating to discover that there's all this, that the Bible itself is a collection of books and that there's all this, all these different literary styles that are used in the Bible. It's the way we use it that mm-hmm. gets in the way. You, the Bible is not a science textbook. It never was meant to be. It's to, to reduce it down to, to, to try to, it's like we're, we're looking for the facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the Bible is trying to tell us about uh, what's underneath the facts. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that question uh, about the Bible, um, it, you know, you'd, you'd said something there about um, learning, and it's it's easy to not even notice that we learned to read the Bible in a particular way, right? Uh, and and you have to kind of do some digging to, to even identify that that particular way that, that at least three of us were, um, were taught to read the Bible um, was not always, always and forevermore the way the Bible had been read. I mean, we, and that was, I think, part of the teaching was that, oh, no, this is the way it's always been from the start. This is the way Jesus' disciples read it. Uh, and so it's, it's this newfangled science that's, that's trying to read it differently. Yes. If you go back and read Augustine, can't get much more influential than Augustine out, out, right. outside of Paul. And uh, so he was, uh, he died around 400. Yep. And he wrote a treatise called The Literal Interpretation of Genesis, where he talks about um, the, the fact that the non Christian would just laugh to hear some of the interpretations of a Christian uh, who's taking Genesis literally. So this is not exactly new, and to to really, um, I think, trace the the very uh, ins- the way of reading the Bible that was so insistent on literality mm-hmm. um, that was in large degree a reaction against uh, the Catholic Church of of wanting a no. We're not going to accept the authority of the church. We we just have the authority of Scripture. And then also a reaction against the, the modernist way of, of saying, well, we're going to look to science. So both of those forces were causing Protestants in particular to say, oh, no, that's, it's, we, we have to anchor everything in Scripture. And if you want to really have Scripture be authoritative, well, there's nothing more authoritative than the plain sense of each and every word. And so... Once you, mm-hmm. which you get taught to read through those eyes, mm-hmm. then it is going to look like, well, if you don't, you know, believe that um, seven days, uh, a few thousand years ago, today, well, right? you're 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 dabbling in in uh, you know the uh, the darkness of of uh, non Christian reading. Yes, true. There's a little theory that I really love that I've probably mentioned on this podcast several times from um, Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, um, where he talks about that there are, he's, he's talking about confirmation bias, the idea that we we like things that fit with our ideas that we already had, and we, we try to reject things that don't. Um, and he talks about there being two thresholds for evidence, where if it's something that, that confirms my biases, I have this um, can I believe threshold. Like, is there, can I find a piece of evidence that proves this to me so that I can believe this thing? Where if it's something that would overturn our bias, it's a must I believe threshold. Like, is there so much evidence of this thing that I can't possibly, in good conscience, not believe it? Like, is there so much that I can't convince myself that this thing is is true? And I think that that goes into that a lot. I think that's why you see this kind of general, um, really from either direction, if you're somebody who's kind of vehemently anti-faith or somebody who's very 
literal in their interpretations of the Bible. There's a lot of like plugging my ears and, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. refusing to listen to what's being said because, you know, I found my, I've carved out my little thing that makes me feel comfortable believing what I believe and anything else is just, you know, must be some sort of nonsense that I can ignore. One of the questions that is asked is how do we defend our faith against science? I think the question was, why do we defend our faith against science? Sorry, I need to have my glasses <laughs> checked. Yeah. Just because that does fundamentally, you know, the question is, um, it, it kind of speaks how to that. How is yeah. a different, yeah, yeah. It's a different um, question. And then how strong is our faith if we feel the need to defend it? And I think mm. that that's, you know, I think why we defend our faith against science is that idea of like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't really confirm my biases, so I've got to make sure that I you know, it must be of the enemy and I've got to, I've got to go out and defeat it and make sure that, you know, no one else is fooled by this. I was reading an article last week about how much it really does take for us to overcome our biases and to be able to see someone else's viewpoint and actually listen to it without defending ours. And it just about takes a miracle for that to happen. And I was just astounded by that because you would think, well, let's just listen to one another. Let's just, you know, embrace one another. But we are just not wired to be able to do that. Once something's there in the brain for us, it's almost impossible to overturn that. So what are some things we could do to overturn that? Um, I, I, you're absolutely right that, that it is, um, in our brain, it's, it's in our body. Uh, I, I tend to think of it as, um, you know, how when you, you start tearing a nail down into the quick, mm-hmm. uh, that is about what it feels like to be challenged in, on one of your, uh, a belief that is near and dear to your heart. It, it, mm. it hurts when, I mean, it's a threat. And, and so, yes, we do respond. All of our uh, defenses get activated. And, um, you know, I know um, in particular growing up with a, a view that was, uh, that saw literal seven days of creation uh, a few thousand years ago as uh, essential to Christian faith. Mm-hmm. The threat there was that if you if you show me weakness on this part of it, it's going to just uh, unravel the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we start talking about uh, dinosaurs and whether they were really around or not. But but what we're really talking about is is my whole faith my whole understanding of the way the world uh, works and my uh, understanding of who I am and um, my, my security in Christ, that, that's what we're really talking about. And, and I think being able to uh, you know, kind of pause and step back and make those connections in our own thinking and see why am I... Why is this so important to me to, to defend it? I think that's, that's a, maybe not a first step, but that's a step we can take to, to, to really be aware of what all um, buttons I have that are being pushed by this one maybe seemingly isolated question or topic, but really it it's, can be shaking me down to my core. I think for me, that's how I was able to let go of that literalist notion of um, the Bible, be, the creation in six six days and we rest on the seventh and dinosaurs and the age of the earth and everything was, why do I care that much about that? What does that matter to me? How does that impact my life today that I believe that? And for me, it was, I don't know that it really does. And so it was easier for me to listen to another point of view. So I'm glad that you shared mm-hmm. that. I think that's very helpful. Uh, is it just that I want to be right and I need to look good? And I've taught this or preached this for 20 years. I can't go back on it now. Or mm-hmm. examine it a little bit deeper than it's that. A, yeah, exactly. It maybe a, it goes back to a choice in some ways, too. Yeah. You know, I was thinking a moment ago, 
that people of faith on the whole we're we're lacking in curiosity and imagination uh, we don't to be honest a lot of times at least the segment of the church that I grew up in didn't have a lot of patience for curiosity it was considered it, it probably at most is some childish kind of mm-hmm. thing but at the heart of it curiosity is what drives the question uh, people of science also run the risk I think of of maybe with with the with certitude that, that they're that what they're really seeking is the answer when in reality, it's the question behind the answer. There's always a question behind the answer. There's always more. Mm-hmm. The mystery is unfolding. And I think that it's like a muscle that you have to develop in your life. I like what E. Stanley Jones said. I've said it before. I, I've never heard it expressed any better. He said he had anchored his life to Christ and was free and all else. And by that, he meant his pursuit of, of, of knowledge, his pursuit of truth his mm-hmm. his willingness to to look at other religions even mm-hmm. and what can he learn from them and what can he learn from the world of science that would if he's if he's anchored he's free uh and and i think a lot of times what drives this argument between faith and science is that we forget that to at, at least for christians we we've not you, you don't really anchor your life to the to the bible Mm-mm. The Bible's not your your source of faith. Your source of faith is the one who's underneath and beyond the words of uh, 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 the God that we claim has been personal and real across the ages. Now, if your faith is there, then it's easier, I think, to to acknowledge there's still a lot of mystery out there, mm-hmm. and that you not only are open to it. I think you can. I've met people who have this such a strong sense of curiosity. I think they enjoy it. <laughs> I think they actually lean into it. Mm-hmm. And and I like being around people like that because I mm-hmm. I find myself coming alive again and mm-hmm. uh, being a little more open to the mystery mm-hmm. of things. Uh, I I think there's a way to do this that transcends that. Uh, you go to your corner and you go to your corner and let's not even talk about this because. Nah, I, th- I think at the end of the day, you know, there's still going to be mystery. I mean, I was I, I mentioned to y'all before, I think when I first started teaching religious studies at Athens State, I had a biology teacher come to me, a friend of mine, and so he said to me, he said, so with the, uh, you know, we're exploding with knowledge in the world and the way it's evolving, do you think there'll be a day when religious studies will be obsolete? Hmm. And I said, Nope, I don't. Well, why not? Because I said, well, when when you decide that there are no more questions, I suppose religious studies would be obsolete. Mm-hmm. As long as there's any kind of mystery that's still out beyond our observation, our, our knowing, that mystery is what drives that discipline. And it's quite honestly what drives both disciplines. I'd love to have yeah, a conversation sometime of, of how these two are really alike. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking was that, that w- what I find is similar uh, across both uh, what I'll call good science and good faith right. is that within each of them, there is an awareness of the limitation that we have as humans. Right. Uh, I mean, I when I get into to debates with... Uh, people who are very scientifically focused, it's usually about them overplaying their hand mm-hmm. and, and claiming an absolute authority right. in which they don't acknowledge that, well, what science tells us, if you look at the principles of science, uh, the scientific method, it's, it's based on making hypotheses, collecting evidence, and confirming or disconfirming, but with the idea that, you know, you really can't ever confirm this totally you can kind of prove to a a pretty good degree what isn't the case but there's always an openness to more evidence that can Mm. come in and and that's why theories are constantly being revised and updated likewise i tend to get into debates with with folks about faith when they try to take it to absolutely 
in terms of their understanding of it and presenting that as if it were the be-all, end-all, final answer on everything. So I, I think both of these sides, uh, when you're doing them right, you're, you have to appreciate um, our limitations and, and be humble about that and say that we're, we're, here, to, we're here to learn. And, and that doesn't mean that we have to just, the fact that we can't know everything or and in any absolute way doesn't mean we have to just throw up our hands and, and curl up in a ball, but it does mean that, that we hold all of our conclusions with some, some tentativeness, tentativeness and, and humility. Yes. Yes. John Caputo, the philosopher, had written lots of books, but one of them he entitled Philosophy and Theology. And in the preface of the book, he said that that the real emphasis of the title doesn't lie in philosophy or in theology. It's the little word and. Mm. In what way are they different? In what ways are they connected? And it was in that book, I think, that he's the one that got me to think about, you know, from from early on, the, the emergence of the Catholic Church into the Middle Ages, the Church is the one that was had the upper hand, it had had authority. We were able to, uh, you know, tell people not just how to live here, but what eternity was, with some sense of of not just authority, but a sense of certain certainty. People, it was in the rise of the Enlightenment in the scientific method where that power shifted and suddenly it's not the church that people look to for answers. It's what's, what's going to be out on the next news flash that we've, mm-hmm. uh, what's new now. And, and he, anyway, Caputo talks about the way in which we've used authority back and forth that way across the ages. Uh, and I, when it comes to, faith and science, I think the emphasis should be on not what this is faith and this is science. I think that's an important discussion. But I really think the emphasis should be on the word and. In what way are they related? Is it really like the Republicans and the Democrats? Or is it like talking about love and joy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that there's a sense, and you you mentioned the... uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, which is a good, uh, good enough segue. Um, I think that there's an extent to which the whole thing is more tribal than it is really a discussion of ideas when the two things are put at odds with each other. It seems like there's um, a sort of fundamental belief among the types of atheists that would be sort of militant against people of faith that religion, that, that, God comes up to fill the gaps of questions that we haven't been able to figure out the answers with science yet. You know, they might point to like, you know, there was a time when people would have thought that lightning meant that some God was angry with some other God because we didn't understand what lightning was and how it worked. Um, So there's kind of this feeling that like people who have faith, people who believe that there is a God now are sort of just standing in the way of progress by saying like, you know, if they could just acknowledge that there wasn't one and then we could, then we could learn, you know, all these things and then people would be smarter. And um, where on the, on the flip side, I think there's a sense among Christians um, that there's sort of this opposing force that would, that it's, that the aim is not really to understand the world better. The aim is to, win and sort of destroy this foundation not only of beliefs about the world but about of morals and of you know this sort of this sort of sacred structure like that that this other group is seeking to say that nothing's sacred and everything's right. for grabs and right you know do what you want because it doesn't matter um and there's bits of truth i think on both sides of that but it, it more comes down to just I think a lot of times it's just about who we have aligned ourselves with, what flag we've chosen to pick up Mm -hmm. and almost just the language that we speak in. Um, I'm saying we're talking more in a row than I'm comfortable with. I'm not going to figure it out by now, but um, I think that there's a lot of talk about this, especially it's usually in politics and it's kind of this like broad question of like, how do we get better at, like being nice to each other and listening mm-hmm. to each other. And there's the, a lot of talk about like 
how do I convince someone of something? Which I think is kind of asking the wrong question because mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need to always convince someone of something. But there's this idea of like, if people change their mind, it's because they heard somebody that they considered an authority say something that was kind of outside of what they would expect that person to say. And I think some of it is just learning to speak in the language. Uh, like I think about times that I've suddenly had my mind changed about something, which doesn't happen that often. Um, and it's because somebody spoke in a language that was kind of the opposite of what that I would expect from a tribal perspective, them to be saying something different. And they're mm-hmm. saying the other, the other way around. Um, I'll give an example. Um, I, uh, they started the, what was the Boy Scouts of America is now scouting BSA. I think they call it. They started in allowing girls to enroll in the troops. Um, and, uh, my assumption would be that people who were heavily involved in scouting would be upset about that, Mm -hmm. right? That they would think Mm -hmm. like, you know, what are you doing? Letting these, you know, oh, everything's, uh, everything's falling apart. We're letting girls into Boy Scouts. Um, because I've heard a lot of people, yeah, I've heard a lot of people who were of that kind of what I would expect from a, from a scouting person, you know, give that moment. But, you know, we had a, we had a scoutmaster here get up and talk about it. And he was like, this is great. You know, we've had all these girls that were, you know, they were sisters of boys that were in the Cub Scouts and they'd come and they do all the stuff anyway. Now we can just give them merit badges. And I thought like, wow, that's, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Go, go girls and scouts. <laughs> and true. it was, it was that sudden because it was somebody, it was a message that was unexpected. Um, hmm. which is a long way around to say that I think some of the problem is just that we're speaking different languages and we make assumptions about another person based on whether or not they say things the way that we would say them. Hmm. I think, yeah, hmm. Jordan, something you said reminded me, I, I think fundamentalism runs both ways there in in the world of science and and in the world of faith and the problem i think with that stance is that there there is not there is no openness mm-hmm. and there's no interest in moving beyond what you already have and i think that we do damage because we allow and usually those voices are the voices that are the loudest or the angriest and they the one they're the ones that get heard the most so you, you quite honestly hear a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth between science and religion uh, on, on some of these issues. When in reality, I find a lot of people very open to to be to, they they don't they can see. I heard someone describe this as a dance. Mm-hmm. They're learning to dance with mm-hmm. both. They're people of they have faith and yet they love the science. They love and and uh, and they love. They love learning, and so they consider it like this this dance that they're in. And and uh, I, I think fundamentalism, if you either way, if if you hold a scientific view in a very fundamentalist way or faith in the, in, the, in that way, you've you've cut yourself off from from uh, any new possibility that might come. And I, it seems to me what a tragic loss that is, not just for the individual, but for the larger conversation that we could have. If we could learn to hold on to our, if we could learn to hold on to what we hold to be true, if we could hold on to that and at the same time understand that there's so many things you can hold a little less tightly, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can be a little more open. Yeah, I think it, a lot of that goes back to kind of what Jordan was saying earlier about the the bias we had towards confirming um, what we already believe that we that we select and we uh, we overweight in a positive sense anything that will support what we already believe and we discount things that would challenge it and um, there's a um, so in evolutionary psychology which is a field it has that field has sometimes been accused of of using too many of what uh, uh, are called just so stories. So uh, Rudyard Kipling, uh, I guess that's from a, from something he wrote that uh, explains, oh, well, it's, and just so, this is the way it happened. And, and, I, and I think we all have to be uh, guarded about our ability to explain things. I mean, right. you know, sometimes we act like, like oh, well, we just can't, you know, the, the Trouble is we, we just can't explain how things work. You know, sometimes the, the, the trouble is that we're too good at it. Um, when I, I used to write a lot of fiction and I, I discovered that, you know, almost if I, if I had, 
if I was at point A and I said, well, I need to get to point Z, that, that's where I need this to go, I could usually get there. I could come up with some way to explain how we get from point A to point Z. Now, was it a good way? No, not really, usually. <laughs> um, and, and so we're not usually so much in this battle of can I explain this or not, because you know, I'm not a young earth creationist, but I occasionally listen to their radio shows and, and they, they sure do explain it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really more of a question of can I, which, which explanation is more plausible? Right. And, you know, that, that requires some, um, some, uh, some judgment, discernment. But what I think we, we really shouldn't do is to, is to say, well, I start out with this view of the way things have to be. So from the Christian side, you know, it has to be this literal account that I read in Genesis. And I can explain a way for that to all fit with everything, you know, with the fossils. Right. And, uh, you know, the flood is the reason it doesn't line up the way I uh, right. want it to. Yeah, you can. You can do that. But is that really the best overall explanation? That's I think that's what we have to be. Sometimes we have to be willing to uh, to let go of our explanations because a better one came along. Yeah, I like that. You know, I I I, I agree, Sam. I I think I, one of the things that uh, our uh, our our questioner gave us it made me think about. Not just talking about science or faith and and and, and uh, science in in a competitive, uh, argumentative way, but in what arena can science and faith learn to work together to make this a better planet, a better world? And and one of the things that were mentioned here was climate change. That you know there and that's just one example there are plenty of examples of where faith and religion might learn to join hands and work together to move uh, toward however you define progress in the world i mean to 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 help take the scientific information along with with faith i mean this whole the, the, even the argument around climate change is ridiculous i mean people of faith when you read genesis how can any of us deny that we have responsibility as stewards of the planet? <laughs> At the same time, why would we neg- why would we turn a deaf ear to what we're being told from the scientific community in raising the al- the alarm of saying, "Hey, we've got a problem," and and we all see it, but somehow, you know, there's still this resistance that that resides in, uh, in even among faith, especially among people of faith, who go, "Well." You know that's that's not true or whatever. There there's room to work together in this is what I'm trying to get at. I have a question that's probably going to go into another podcast, but I'm going to throw it out on the table anyway. I like that kind of uh, qualifier before you absolutely say <laughs> leave it to me. Why? What is the vested interest in a person of faith to deny climate change? Why? Why? Are we dealing with two sets of information? I, I don't. It's, I don't understand. Look, I don't know the first thing about climate change. I don't. Other than I know that something's going on with the planet. I mean, have you seen the latest pictures from Antarctica? There's no snow in Antarctica. Um, right. I uh, can offer some thoughts about this Thank um, you. as a person who. Uh, uh, a favorite podcaster of mine referred to himself as being culturally Republican, and uh, I'm uh, or it's like being ethnically Jewish, you know. I'm uh, I'm not I'm not practicing, but I am I am ethnically Republican. Um, there's a couple of things I think. One of them is just purely tribal. It's okay. this idea that like this is something that came from the other side that wants oh, okay. you know that wants me to do something you know that's telling me that I'm bad or whatever. Okay. Um, the the other thing I would say is that there have been people on, if you want to make it a red team, blue team thing, the uh, the side that is ostensibly, you know, in favor of climate change existing, et cetera, that has fairly consistently overplayed their hand to the okay. sense that if you are, have a, if you do have a must, I believe, threshold for climate change, you can say like, well, there's been all of these predictions that have been publicized that have been overblown. Mm-hmm. There's been all of these things, you know, and then there's been 
people who I think have used it, politicians have used it as an opportunity to say like, well, since the climate's changing, we need to, the only thing that's going to fix it is if we adopt every single favorite policy proposal of mine, whether it's environmental or not. And I think that that plays into the tribal thing to where it's easier to say like, well, this aspect of it seems fishy. Therefore I can disregard the entire thing. I think that is uh, that's my observation as a, as an ethnic. It's a good observation. I, I think on the faith side, it's, it's based on theology that, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's based on theology that is, well, God's going God's gonna to destroy this anyway. It's, it's going to be mm-hmm. replaced. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. And so sense. just let the world go to hell in a handbasket anyway because yeah. that's what's happening. And it doesn't matter because God's going to make something new for a select few of us. When in reality, that's not good theology. You know, it's funny. I don't think you ever, you probably have never run into somebody that says that, that doesn't think that they're one of the few. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's right, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that, that, is, that is absolutely true. And, and I, but I've also heard, uh, in addition to that, the, the promise uh, after the flood cited as mm. a reason to not have to worry about, because God's uh, not going to yeah. destroy the world uh, until he destroys it. Right, 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 right. Until <laughs> you know, the you don't end. Have to, yeah, you don't have to worry about it end. until, until <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really. Um, I, I think there's, uh, so I'll, I'll try to answer from the, this from the more the science side of, there, there is, uh, you know, we, we do have to be, have the caution about um, uniformity of science and, and its absolute uh, ability to, to turn out valid answers. So there's observation and then there's prediction. Mm. And so the, there can be, I think there's a lot less room to doubt the observations uh, with the, the uh, that, you know, as you cited with what you see going on now, um, there's it's, you're in a little shakier ground when you're trying to look back at historic patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have there are some methods for doing that, but uh, then it gets into the question of well, how much of the change is just uh, normal cycles, mm-hmm. and we're just in the middle of one? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's accelerated a little bit, but it's still more a normal pattern. Uh, and then I think you get into the shakiest ground when you talk about using mathematical models to predict what the climate will like be like. Like we only have five in, years to reverse it or Yeah, whatever. or even 50 or 100 years. Yeah. That is extremely shaky ground. Okay. Uh, that that uh, the modeling of, of future events is extremely hard, even with a relatively simple system, which the climate is not. Climate is one of the most complicated sure. systems of all. So I think there's, there's different degrees of skepticism that are you know, more or less uh, supportable. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to, to I, and I think when, um, it's kind of like what Jordan said, if you, if you can pick one of those places to mm-hmm. say, well, that, you know, that doesn't make sense, then it, or, or uh, that didn't happen, then you can kind of throw the whole thing out. And that's, uh, that's more of a, a cultural, you know, team. Yeah. Spice is confirmed. I can move on. Yeah. I can't speak on the whole, but I, I'll tell you one other thing. And Jordan really said it, but in, in Sam was talking about it, but I, it, it became so politicized in, to be honest, Al Gore, when he did that work, mm-hmm. that's when I started hearing people who were Christian and who were uh, responsible in, in many areas of their life. But, you know, you start talking about the environment and the care of the environment and people will either go, oh, he's a tree hugger or, right. but you guess what? I am. Yeah. I certainly am a tree hugger. I, yeah. I, I think the climate matters, and I think the environment matters right. a great deal, and I think it ought to matter to Christians. Yeah. But because we care, you know, on side of faith, we can talk all we want, but politics drives so much of what even happens in any local church. Any divide that you have, a lot of times, it's not just over theology. It's over the political <laughs> ramifications true. of an issue mm-hmm. in which side you're on is is uh, that that so often divides us but That's a good point it's just one it's just one area i just it got me to thinking though i just wonder you know uh in what ways can 
science and faith learn to cooperate better, work together mm-hmm. in, in ways that would make it make make a better world to live in. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, I do want to, we're coming up on time, but I do want to spend a minute on the, the last question here, which is, um, we've, we've been talking about it, but, um, to get to it specifically, um, it's, uh, it says, are we hypocrites when we embrace and celebrate scientific innovations as God given conveniences and then condemn conclusions like climate change that implicate Christians among others in the latest mass extinction event? Um, and it's a, it's a big question and I don't know that we really have time to do it justice here, but I wanted to at least get into it. And I think it, I I imagine that the, the God given conveniences is, um, it makes me think of like, I've seen people sort of (coughs) take offense to when somebody will say like, you know, God cured this person, this family member. And it's like, well, you know, and someone would say like, well, a doctor, you know, did that, like, like basically science did that. Right. Like, and, you know, I, I think that for me personally, I would think that those are both true, you know, that that it's, you know, I I think that, that we can thank God for these innovations while also acknowledging that they were things that were done by people who worked really hard to make them happen. I guess I'll put that out there. You know, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, (coughs) In any sense that says, are we hypocrites? Yes, I think every one of us is a hypocrite, but uh, for various reasons. But <laughs> we'll put the question out to the table. Well, don't we kind of pick and choose the verses in the Bible that really speak to us and cling to and say, this is what my life is about, while we, dis- while we disregard something else that like, you know, like plucking out your eye, you know, if you're, if you're lusting after a woman. But there's other scriptures that we will cling to and say there it is god said it probably do the same thing when it comes to science like we trust in certain medicines to make us better Mm -hmm. or um i don't know i just think a lot about um the study that was done in the late 90s by that andrew wakefield that came out and said that the mmr vaccine causes autism Mm -hmm. because my children were little then and I just remember panicking. Uh, my kids were vaccinated. But I, I know people a little bit younger than me that really cling to that study mm-hmm. and won't vaccinate their children. And I'm like, what are you? When you look in that study, he he studied 12 kids. How is that a good study? I've already said I'm not scientific, but even I know that ain't a good study. <laughs> But it has been repeated for the past, what, 20 years to the point of people don't vaccinate their children in small circles. But these are the same people that would take an antibiotic when their child has strep throat. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a thought-worthy conversation. I don't know. I think that gets into the whole, well, it gets into the realm of conspiracy theories, which I think have a lot to do with the idea that people like like feeling like they know something that other people don't know. They like feeling like there's, I think it's comforting to have the sense that like there is an order out there, even if we don't see it. So I think people project that like shadowy, you know, Mm -hmm. group that makes all the things happen. And, you know, I've learned the secret that most people don't know that they don't want you to know. Um, Like the deep state. And you can edit that out if you need to. Anytime somebody says that, I'll leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Boy, you know, there, there's something about being human that uh, I, I love. I love the phrase uh, "whistling past the graveyard." <laughs> that uh, that you know, there are things that can be pretty threatening to us, mm. to all of us. It's just there. It's just part of life, and um, sometimes we do things to distract ourselves from it. So. Mm. You know, if I'm having to walk past the graveyard, I might I might whistle a happy tune uh, to to kind of take my mind off of uh, both what might come out of there and me going in there someday. Right. Hmm. Um, and I I think that we have to be careful about what we use to distract ourselves, um, hmm. and and. That, that tendency we have to not want to wrestle with some of the harder things. Hmm. And um, 
I think Christianity is not supposed to be one of those things. I think it's not a distraction. I think it's, it, it, it's a comfort, but it's also a call to, um, to be. I love, I love the way N.T. Wright puts it, that, that Christians are called to be the people who are at the, uh, the dangerous intersection between um, heaven and earth. And that, that if you do that, you, you may wind up in the midst of a lot of suffering. And um, I think that that because such a fundamental part of, of Christianity is this call to the truth, um, that we have to be willing to look at those hard things. And uh, even sometimes we won't like what we see. And then pray for courage to, to keep looking and maybe do what we're then called to do. And, and that's hard. And, uh, no, I sure don't do it very well, but it's, it's, um, you know, we talk about science being hard, but you know, Christianity can be really hard and what it's asking us to do. Yes. Well said. Well said. Y'all know I love Chesterton. He said, um, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Yeah. And that's so true, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it, I so both true. love it and hate it. Cause I know. <laughs> he t- well, because he, t- because he tells the truth mm-hmm. of all of us. Yeah. Well, I hope um, that that gives some clarity to that question. We, we talked a lot. We said a lot of words. <laughs> I hope that uh, if you're listening, you will let us know if you have any um, questions, big or small, that you would like us to talk about. Um, we certainly enjoy the chance to dive in and and wrestle with these things i think that that's important work and i think that that's part of sam like you said what we're called to as christians um so that's it for this week um we'll be back hopefully next week um until then love serve and encourage each other